Welcome back to LMB Podcast. How do you talk about our organization? I gotta tell you, I've heard a lot of elevator pitches from a lot of different people, but if you really want to sell the value we provide, you gotta hear from our speaker today, Matt Katz, the company's EVP of Mergers and Acquisitions. He clears up the murky waters of why we should care about being a public company, who our new customers are, and what the process looks like to create demand for our services. How all of this affects you? Well, you'll have to listen and find out now, won't ya? I'm Katie Mystery, and I'm your host from Learning and Engagement. Let's get started, shall we? Welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks for having me. So to many people, I think what you do and who you are is an enigma. <laughs> You're a man shrouded in mystery. Um, so today I want to turn the light on. And maybe maybe we should start with a basic definition. Um, what does it mean to be a publicly traded company? So the, the, the really boring answer is it, it, it's simply the way in which we're structured from a legal perspective, um, which, which isn't really helpful for anybody other than maybe for me and Scott Wright and, and Jamie Brooks, right? Yeah. <laughs> but like fundamentally, um, you know, we, we are a public company, which means that we have a big collection of shareholders and they can buy and sell their ownership interest in the company every second of every day that the NASDAQ stock market is open Monday through Friday from 9.30 in the morning until four in the afternoon. Okay. And, and the reality is we've had shareholders always, like every company in America has shareholders, but in most cases, those shareholders are a couple of good friends or maybe it's a family and it's all very opaque, right? Like you, you don't know who the man is behind the curtain they make decisions that they want to make and it's like that tom petty song it's it's good to be king right you can sort of do whatever you want to do and no one really cares about it and so the line between who runs the company and who owns the company is you know is pretty unclear Mm -hmm. we're in a very different position and so because we are a public company there's a very bright line between the company its employees and its management team on the one hand and the shareholders on the other and our shareholders vote on our performance every day by buying and selling stock and changing the price. Mm. And so with that structure comes a bunch of new considerations and obligations around how we report financial information, how we communicate with people, um, our ability to make decisions, the types of decisions that we need to make. Um, But at the end of the day, it's also a way for us to raise money much more cost effectively and hopefully quickly uh, it's a way to compensate employees with equity that would be very difficult to do in a private company. So while there are some challenges and some new burdens that we bear as a public company, there's also some pretty interesting upside opportunities and advantages that we wouldn't have if we were privately owned. So so you mentioned a few things of note here, but really bottom line, why should we care? Why should we? Why should employees of this company care that we are publicly traded? I think the, the, the biggest consideration, and it's one that as, as a company we're still coming to grips with, is that we, we've got a new customer. And so if I went to any branch office or all the branch offices in, in every project in the field and asked 100 people who our customers were, 99 of them would tell me Disney, HCA, yeah. Facebook, yeah. Turner, Barton Mallow, 
I'm guessing one in a hundred would say the public shareholder. And the reality is our shareholders are also our customers. They bought something from Limbaugh. They bought a share of stock or thousands of shares of stock. And they bought a product like any other product that we might buy. And they want that product to have been a good value. They want that product to perform the way it was supposed to. And for ultimately for that product to grow in value over time. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about how we spend money as a company and the investments we make, we're, you know, we're really sort of stewards of that shareholder capital. I mean, shareholders have given us money and asked us to spend it in a way that will create value. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's part of the reason people need to be cognizant of being a public company, because effectively we are stewards of other people's capital. And that could be an individual like you or me that buys a thousand shares or a couple of thousand shares in a 401k account. It can be a pension fund investing money on behalf of firefighters and police officers, or it can be an investment firm. Um, At the big end, you know, you might have BlackRock and Fidelity and Vanguard, Mm -hmm. or you could have a small partnership that manages 50 or a hundred million dollars, but they've got customers too. And so they're, managing money and hoping to get a return on that investment. So it just sort of brings into the mix this whole different dynamic and another constituency that we need to be thoughtful about. Yeah, and and this idea of value and valuation, who determines that? Do we determine our own value or do they determine our value? How do we find out? It's the the invisible, the the sort of classic Adam Smith invisible hand of the market, right, is is sort Uh of what the value determination is. And so... Um, For better or for worse, you can look on your screen, again, 24 hours a day and figure out what the value of the company is as determined by supply and demand. And it's sort of as as technically economic as as I can get. Um, But, you know, when people people think that Limbaugh is a great opportunity and it's a business that's going to grow and perform and generate profits – they they want the stock and they'll buy it and they'll buy it at an increasingly higher price. And then there are moments where they decide that there's a better opportunity buying Amazon or Tesla and there are more sellers than there are buyers. And so the share price will fall. But but fundamentally, the share price is, is in theory meant to be the most efficient way economically to determine what the value of the company is on any given uh, on any given day. And there are a bunch of inputs that yeah. you know, sort of determine what that value is, but it's fundamentally sort of supply and demand is reflected in the share price. Yeah. And you know, sometimes it can feel like we're running a race to create value, sell value, create new value, sell the new value. And it's an exhausting prospect of never um, settling, but I, but that's part of, part of the game, isn't it? So the question remains, if we create the value, then how do we create demand? What's your opinion on how we as employees of this company create demand for our stocks? So uh, game sort of an interesting way to describe it. And, and on the one hand, it makes it seem like it's a little childish and a little irrational. But on the other hand, it, it is sort of the intersection of a bunch of different things and their strategy behind it. Um, and and it's, it's not always rational, right? It's like trying to play shoots and ladders or candy land with your five-year-old. Like it doesn't matter if you get the lollipop and that puts you three <laughs> steps from the end. You know, if, if your she is sort of still stuck on the brownie and, and they turn the board over, you know, you, you've lost even though you might have won, right? And, and there's an element of that you know, as a public company. So 
but part of we, we've got a multifaceted job in some respects. Mm-hmm. The, the company's got to execute well. So we've got to go out, sell good work at good margins, deliver those margins, generate cash, and generate profits. Mm-hmm. And, and all of that's really important. But we've also got to tell people that we're doing it, right? Because we're, we're selling yeah. a product. We're selling construction yeah. services on the one hand, and we're selling stock to shareholders on the other hand. You know, there's a transaction there. And so the, the way we go about it is that we attend conferences and we go out and we preach the Limbaugh gospel. And so on the other side of the table, you've got this community of people that have capital, they've got money, and they're looking for investment opportunities that they think will create better value for them over the long term, that will turn a dollar into $2 into $3. And, and some of those folks, they don't want Facebook, they don't want Amazon. They think there's better value in buying a small but fast-growing company in the building services space. And so we need to figure out how to get the word out to them that what we're doing is pretty special and pretty unique. And we're taking the business from an old legacy model that was, you know, really focused on a certain type of construction opportunity. And we're over time going to change it into a business that's got a, a lot of technology behind it. And that is sort of out in front of the rest of the industry and, and, and leading. And, and that's going to change the way in which we make money and, and generate profits and so people should be thinking of us as sort of the next great opportunity in this part of the market. And so we, you know, we, we obviously file our results every quarter. We present at investor conferences. We get introduced to new investors the same way that out in the field we get introduced to new clients because we've got folks that think we're doing a great job and they sort of found this hidden gem. Yeah. Right. And they want to go tell somebody else about it. And and listen, there's a little bit of self-serving in it, right? Like if you already own it and you think it's great and you can go get four more people to buy it and they buy it at a higher price, then the stock you bought is now worth more. So like, let's be honest about how this all works, right? But, um, you know, we we get the word out the same way that any marketing department would. Um, You know, the investor relations function is really about communicating the story and making sure that people understand what it is that we do why we think it's unique and why they should take a look at us as opposed to somebody else that we might compete with. Okay. So what, I think I heard bits of this as you were just talking, but I'm a shareholder. What's the pitch? You're, you're coming to me, you're talking to me and you have to give a short pitch. What do you say? The, the, the Limbaugh pitch I think has really coalesced around this concept that we're a very diverse business in terms of the end markets that we serve from healthcare to commercial to government to data centers and transportation and everything in between. We operate in a bunch of different geographies. We've got a huge diversity of customers and projects. And, and that's really a pitch I think that resonates well with people, particularly in the current environment where everybody's a little bit nervous, but you, you don't wanna be completely exposed to one industry or one customer. And so this concept of diversity on top of the essential nature of what we do, you, mm-hmm. you've got to have airflow in buildings. You've got to have ventilation. You've got to have heat. You've got to have air conditioning. You can't offshore that to China. You can't get mm-hmm. it made in Mexico. Like it's got to be done here and it's got to be a part of every new building that gets built. And as we think about how things used to be done, to build those systems and what we think we can do to change that model over time, 
Um, we, we're really the horse to bet on there because we've got this massive resume of field experience, right? We know how to actually install these systems in the field in buildings of various different types. But we've also got the, the, the design and engineering capability. So, you know, we, we can sort of set up the system and design the system to reduce your cost as the building owner and to make sure that it works the way it's intended to. But not only can we do it on paper, we can actually build it, right? Like it's not just a theoretical exercise for Limbaugh, it's theoretical and it's practical. And so the ability to really pair those two things together at the end of the day to give the building owner a product that works, that's cost effective, and that won't go down and is always functioning the way it's supposed to at the lowest possible price is a really compelling proposition for the building owner. And as a shareholder, you should be excited by that because we can do that across a huge portion of the economy and a huge portion of the nation. And so we're going to be able to demonstrate some really consistent and steady growth over time. And you don't have to worry about interest rates and you don't have to worry about who the president is and you don't have to worry about the virus because over time, our demand is pretty consistent and pretty stable and we're going to continue to execute. I'm sold. I'm sold. That, so what kind of responses do you typically get? Like, what does that look like when you're in the room? Um, it, it's interesting, right? Because I, everybody, to some degree, it, and I shouldn't say everybody, most people have had some experience renovating a kitchen, building mm -hmm. a house, you know, what they think of as construction. And 95 out of 100 of those experiences, like, weren't awesome, right? Like, something yeah. went wrong. The house wasn't done when you thought. <laughs> something didn't work. And so th there's a little bit of an element that you're always having to play some defense here because people come into the business with an idea of what it is. And so you need to be patient. And, and it really is a process. I mean, mm -hmm. if I think about all the meetings we've had over the last couple of years since I've been here, um, literally hundreds of conversations, I can't identify a single one where somebody decided to make an investment after the first meeting. Mm, and and okay. it really is a process. So we're talking to people two, three, four, five times, and they're watching the story evolve and seeing if we do what we say we're going to do and starting to get comfortable with it. Yeah. And that, at the end of the day, I think is really what I'm telling is educating people and helping them understand why they should be as passionate about it as we are. And that's, okay. that's turned out to, I think, be a pretty compelling pitch, particularly in this environment where I think people have very low expectations. Yeah. And, and we're having, you know, the best year we've had in a long time. And we've delivered, you know, a couple of great quarters and, and we hope to finish out the year in a similar fashion. But, you know, really sort of proving yourself uh, in reality, I think, is the most compelling pitch you can make. OK, so I think we have, you know, a basic understanding of how how this works now. So thank you for that. Um, I mentioned earlier that we're turning the light on today on, on public companies, on you and your role. Um, and I one way I want to do that is by taking a break from the information and playing a game. Okay? You ready? Okay. We're going to play a game called Would You Rather. Have you played that before? Uh, I'm, I have not, I don't think, but I can, I can see where this is headed so far away. <laughs> All right. Here's how this works. Um, I'm going to give you, I'm, ask, I'm asking you a question, and it'll have two options in there, and you have to choose one or the other, and um, it really has absolutely nothing to do with what we're talking about today. It's completely random, um, and you have to tell me why you chose that one. 
Okay. All right, here we go. Fire away. Would you rather? Would you rather work 80 hours in one week and have the next week off or work 40 hours for the week spread across seven days, including weekends for two weeks? Now, um, I'll take I'll take option A. I think I'd rather just pound out 80 hours in a week and then, you know, sort of take the next week off and spend it some other way. I just think there's there's so much going on at Limbaugh right now. And there's there's a lot to be done, but a lot of it's really exciting. And I think now's a time when you can really get wrapped up into something. And yeah, my guess is those 80 hours would go by pretty quickly. Um, it's just, it's hard to sit down at your desk in the morning and figure out what to tackle first because your yeah. mind's sort of thinking There's quicker so than your fingers can type. So, um, I, I think I plow through option, option B. 80 hours is, I mean, you're... It is. It is. I, mean, I you know, it, it's been worse, right? Um, <laughs> I remember the early part of my career where that was sort of the way it worked and I'm unfortunately not that young anymore, but I, I still think I picked that option. Oh, all right. Well, well what would you do with your week off? Um, good question. I, you know, <laughs> part of me would like to do nothing other than sit around and drink coffee and read the paper for a couple of hours and then, great. you know, sort of switch to something a, a little more intoxicating to drink and, and sort of let the day go on. <laughs> and, and part of me would be on a plane out to Colorado, uh, now that the weather is getting colder and, and to spend it outdoors, you know, hiking and skiing. Wow. Sounds amazing. All right. Well, I mean, unhealthy hours for a week and then really healthy lifestyle for a week. I feel like that's a nice balance. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Exactly. All right. Anyway, to continue on in our pursuit, um, I have to ask, and you have touched on this a little bit, but what does your day look like when, and how do you and your role fit into this value creation slash creating a demand equation? Um, so, you know, my, my role has evolved, I think, pretty substantially from when I, you know, when I joined okay. the company full-time as an employee in September of 2017. And, and the role was really meant to be focused on leading our effort to identify and acquire other businesses across the country that fit our strategy. And it was really a mergers and acquisitions focus. And along with that was what I would describe as the, as the capital markets component to that, which meant figuring out how to pay for those acquisitions by raising equity or issuing debt and, and sort of bringing all of those pieces together so that we could successfully acquire a business. Okay. Um, as time has passed and as the, as the strategy has evolved and, and the business has you know, cycled up and down, uh, part of what I do is, is still mergers and acquisitions focused, you know, identifying companies that we might want to acquire or partner with because they're supportive of the strategy. I think a, a bigger piece of what I do has been focused on the financing, um, particularly on the debt side and making sure that we're working with the right banks and the right financial partners to support the needs of the business. Um, and that's both on the banking side as well as on the equity side. The investor relations function that we talked a bit about a couple of minutes ago mm -hmm. has been another big piece of the job, you know, as we've given more thought and care to that customer base. Um, it requires a lot of care and feeding, and so it takes a lot of time, and, and I've, I think, largely taken on that responsibility. And, and then, you know, sort of a weird bucket that includes just a bunch of odd jobs, 
ranging from some corporate strategy stuff to uh, procurement and purchasing initiative that I was working on this year for a while to generally just sort of looking at a bunch of numbers and doing some analysis and asking a bunch of stupid questions. So it's, uh, it, it's hard to fit it all into a really clean bucket. Yeah. Um, but I'm a little bit like uh, you know, maybe the utility player that does a little bit of second base and a little bit of outfield and, and maybe a little bit in between. So, so what in your life prepared you for this utility player uh, role? How'd you get here, basically? So, um, yeah, interesting story. So I worked uh, on a, at a Wall Street firm for a couple of years out of college uh, in the energy industry, um, which was a great experience, and, and that's sort of where I was doing the 80 and 100-hour weeks for a while. Oof. And then I ended up working for a New York-based uh, private investment firm that made controlling investments in family-owned and operated businesses. There were a couple of exceptions to that, and one of them was Limbaugh. And hmm. so in 2002, uh, that investment firm, where I was a young associate at the time, bought Limbaugh in partnership with the management team when it was owned by Enron. Oh, right. And so from 2002 till 2017, um, I was involved with Limbaugh, not as an employee, but largely as a shareholder and as a director. And so I got to know the business and the management team from the outside and developed an appreciation for the industry and um, somewhat of an appreciation for how the business works. Mm-hmm. I'm obviously not a, you know, not a construction guy by, by training, uh, but my, you know, my background was largely in finance and, and private investments. Uh, okay. And so that, you know, makes me incredibly dangerous and pretty good at cocktail parties, but <laughs> certainly not sort of I'm field sure. ready by any stretch. So like, I, you know, I, I rely on, on everybody else, right? And mm-hmm. almost everything that I just described to you is ultimately a partnership between me and Jamie Brooks or me mm-hmm. and Jay Sharp or Mike McCann mm-hmm. or Ian Switalski or Dave Leathers or Charlie or, you know, whoever. I mean, um, part of what has, has been really fun about this is that I feel like I've got a couple hundred operating partners. And so yeah, every time that's I've got a question, there's always somebody I can call and, and work with, and it's been a it's been a great experience and a good part of the job. Yeah, and and it certainly sounds like you're a driven person. You've gotten this far, and you're really helping our company um, achieve its strategy and vision. And and you obviously see the company doing great things in the future. It has been said that you hold the viewpoint: if we're not moving forward, we're moving backwards. Um, so I'd love for you to clarify that. Where where does that sentiment come from? You know, but f- fundamentally, I, I think it's it's informed by just having seen dozens of companies over the years, both th- that we owned when I was at my pri- uh, prior employer and then just broadly, who are trying to figure out where they are in the world, right? And, and, and the world's moving very quickly and business moves very quickly. And, and people that are content with where they are now tend to find that it's really hard to stay put because mm-hmm. everybody else is trying to get ahead. And so on a relative basis, if your goal is to stand still, almost by definition, people are going to pass you. And so you're moving backwards in that sense. And, and if you want to end up standing still, and you know, for, there are reasons why you might want to do that, you still have to try and move forward because you got to recognize that not everything you want to do is going to happen. And so you may take two steps forward and then take two steps back and, and it leaves you where you are. But if you hadn't taken two steps forward, you'd be, you know, back over here and you'd be worse yep. off at the end of the day. Yeah. So it's just in business, in 
construction in 2020, right? It's, it's very hard to tread water and it's almost easier just to keep stroking forward and hope that, you know, you can get some momentum and, and make that progress because otherwise, you know, you're going to get lapped and it's going to be that much harder along the way. Yeah. Well, Matt, this has been a great half hour. Um, I'm sure we're going to be digesting this information for a while yet. Uh, but before we close, I have one last question for you. It's called our curveball question, and it's one that you didn't receive ahead of time. Forget about the curveball, Ricky. Give him the heater. If you could only watch one movie or show for the rest of your life, what would it be? The single best thing that's ever been on TV was the HBO series Band of Brothers. And I've probably seen it a dozen times, and I could probably watch it a dozen more. Um, it's in close competition with Animal House and with Casablanca, but I okay. still think it's the best thing ever to be produced by the, the media industry. It's a great lesson in leadership. It's inspiring. Mm -hmm. It's just a good story. I have seen Band of Brothers. It is a good story. I think I spent half of it, though, with either my eyes like half covered or you know, my fingers and my ears just because it's one of those, like, it's, you're so emotionally invested. Yeah, we, that's absolutely right. And to be fair, you can be emotionally invested in Animal House too, but it's a different true. kind of experience. Yeah, I have not seen Animal House. We all have our homework now, um, not only to pretty much memorize the pitch that you gave earlier about our company, but also to watch these shows. So, uh, Matt, thanks again for joining me today. Happy to, happy to have done it. Thank you. So you've got your homework, whether you're in corporate, operations, finance, safety, or especially if you're in sales, it helps to know how our company is being pitched to these customers. Investors may not be on our radar, but they certainly deserve to be. Before we close today, don't forget to send in a guest to learning at for this session's trivia. The first person to send in their response and to get it right will receive dollars to the company store. Our question today is, Limbach purchased what company in Los Angeles in 1974? All right. Thanks for joining today. We'll catch you next time on LMB Podcast. Mm -hmm.